Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucksikins? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is my podcast. Uh, thank you for joining. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I hope your day is going okay, or your evening, or your drive, or your workout, or whatever the fuck you're doing. I hope it's okay. I hope you're enjoying life. I hope you're engaging in it. I'm in a hotel room. As we speak, I'm out here. I'm out here in the country, in the great American countryside, kind of. I, uh, I'm i in Burlington, Vermont, and we drove up. Sarah and I did the thing. We flew into New York. We hit New Haven, did that show. Great show. Then we went up to uh, Troy, Troy, New York, and tonight in Burlington. I'm, I'm recording this before the show. I'll tell you a little bit about the trip. Sure, I will. Why not? But let's do this first because I wanted to my, – my buddy Todd Berry – he texted me, and he's got this book out. He sent it to me. It's very funny. Uh, Todd is very funny. The book is very funny. It's called Thank You for Coming to Hattiesburg, One Comedian's Tour of Not Quite the Biggest Cities in the World. Uh, he calls it part tour diary, part travel guide, and part memoir. And because it's Todd, you know it's hilarious. It's out in bookstores tomorrow, but you can pre-order it right now. Todd Berry's new book. All right? So did I mention Kevin Nealon is on the show? That was a long time coming because quite honestly, I didn't think Kevin Nealon liked me. I thought we had a problem. We discussed it. So New Haven was a, uh, it was great to be there. We, we stayed, we were basically on the Yale campus and it was a very pleasant hotel. And we went, you know, cause Sarah is a artiste. So she like checked out, what was that? The gallery. And we wanted to see what was there. I have the, hold on. Yeah, I got the uh, the little brochure thing right here. Small and great objects, Annie and Joseph Albers in the Americas. Now, though they were both artists. Joseph Albers was an abstract guy, did squares, did colors. Annie did a lot of textile work, weavings and whatnot. And this was a collection of uh, little artifacts and bits of uh, uh of you know sculptures and weird figurines from mexico and latin america and that they, they kind of you know connected those things with the influence on him and art in general and you know it was a a learning experience and a lot of times i need to kind of be you know it takes a lot for me to go to the museum but it was just down the street and it was uh, i always am happy when i go there because you should go it's important whether you you think it's important or not, or whether you don't go very often. You got to go look at the art. Go look at the paintings. Go look what 
creative freedom looks like. Go look what putting it all on the line for a canvas looks like. Go look what go look at what portals into the great unknown, the secret spirits of pure creation feel like. Don't let it go away. They require your attention. You don't have to look at everything. I know it's exhausting, especially the historical stuff. But go lock in for a few minutes to the art so you get your brain configured correctly. All right? That's all. Public service announcement for art in general. But then we go back to the hotel and we're going to have some coffee in the lobby. And we almost sat like there was these uh, two seats looking out the window, but they were too close to this couple that was sitting there enjoying their coffee or lunch or bread. And we decided not to sit there because we felt we'd be looking right at him. So we sat across the way from him. And then I realized, I'm like, that guy looks familiar. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he does. And then I look across from him and I'm like, holy shit, that's Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep was just sitting there in the lobby bar of the hotel we were staying at having some bread and meat. And I recognized her husband because he's always sitting next to her being her husband. I don't know that guy. I don't know what he does, but I knew it was him. I recognized him because she's one of those people where you're like, that's her husband. I wonder what he does. Who's that guy? It's easy information to find. I'm sure I never did. I want to keep it a mystery. So we're, I'm just looking at her. I'm not staring at her, but I, 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 I was like trying not to look at her, but you kind of want to look at her because it's Meryl Streep the greatest actress that ever lived and somebody who was an outspoken person and sort of important to the cultural dialogue at this juncture in history. And also how can you not fucking love her work? Right. I was, you know, I was just taking in her technique. You know, she was eating bread and having, um, having some coffee, I believe maybe a water also using her phone a bit. And I just wanted to see how she approached that stuff because she's a professional. And I got to say, uh, it was brilliant. She, she ate her bread brilliantly uh, it was like, it was very, seemed very real, seemed very like she was committed to, um, to eating some bread and meat, but also like her phone style was like, it was like, she was really in it. She was like definitely checking her phone. Just, it was a brilliant performance all around. And I, I was, I was happy to have the seats that I had. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So New Haven, that was a great show. And then uh, we drove up to Troy Troy's an old New York City, upstate New York. I'll tell you something about driving through, you know, Connecticut and, uh, you know, we were taking the small county roads, Connecticut, upstate New York, Vermont is one thing you notice after a little while is there, there, there's definitely been some slacking on, uh, in the barn repair department, barn maintenance, I think is at an all time low, but from the looks of some of these barns, it's been declining for probably a century. And, you know, it adds something to the landscape. I don't know if that's why people don't fix the barns. I mean, there are some dilapidated old fucking barns out there, but you're like, that's cool. But party is like, I guess, you know, just generations of people have looked out at that thing and said, nah, it's all right. No, we don't need to, don't need to paint it. We don't need to fix it. All right. Maybe you just nail, just nail that one board on, but don't nail it. Don't hit it too hard because the whole thing could go. You see barns and you're like, there is that even that it can you use? Holy shit. There's stuff in it. I mean, I, I'm not encouraging people. I, I'm just maybe a heads up that, you know, take a look at the barn. It looks like it's about to go, though. It's very charming and it makes the landscape much more engaging and interesting and historical. Maybe there's a law in all these states. Hey, if you've got a barn built before 1800, don't fuck with it. Let it just crumble into itself over a a century because it looks cool. I don't know. I don't know how it works up here. 
Troy Music Hall, what a fucking place that was built in the 1800s, acoustically perfect. And like the seats that they have, there are still the seats. The, the, uh, the guy told me they were all cast as entire rows, that the iron was, was, they're not separate seats. They were cast iron as entire rows. And underneath, there's still the little hook thing, the little thing that you stick your top hat in. And on the back of each chair, there was a, a little pouch, a little metal hook for, for women's shawls, top hats and shawls. That's how far that goes back. And it's weird with these halls that are acoustically perfect where there's an intimacy to them that transcends even like a small black box theater. I don't know why, but just the way the chairs were situated and how the people sat on the lower level. And I filled up that second balcony too. I did all right these shows. People are coming out having a nice time. But just the way that seats were situated, that they couldn't change them, that there was nothing modern about the seat situation. Just the way it was tiered looked a little 1800s-y. Like I could picture people sitting, you know, in their 1800s clothes and obviously a couple of hipsters were there. So they were there, but I could just see and feel the history of the place. Sometimes the venue's history transcends any crowd or any performance that's in there. It is of itself and you feel it and it's, it's humanizing somehow because you can't transcend something that old in structure and sound. And it, it just makes it so no matter how technologically advanced anything's become, that you're just people sitting in something that was built before microphones to sound perfect. And it was, uh, it was, it was bigger than the people. So the people were small and it made it very sweet and intimate. Marina Franklin opened for me these last two nights and it was, uh, she did a great job. Should I read an email real quick while I'm sitting here? Yeah, I, I do like to, it's not so much tooting my own horn, but I'm always surprised at uh, some of the emails I get and how the show influences people. This just says, uh, interview impact in the subject line. Hi, Mark, I loved your interview with Bruce Springsteen and made a strong impact on me. What struck me was the warmth and compassion you elicited from Mr. Springsteen in the moment, all caps. Through your willingness to engage him from the heart with honesty and humility and vulnerability, clearly he was willing to accept your invitation. And in the joy of that genuine moment in which two people were fully present to each other, Mr. Springsteen's humanity and his journey became evident. It's a very nice thing to say, but this is what was uh, I, I found uh, very touching for me. Interviewing is a key part of my job, conducting forensic clinical assessments for juvenile court. And this got me thinking about the process. I get one shot around an hour with the kid and an hour or so with the parent to gather not only the relevant family, school, and social history, but also to gain an understanding of how the youth came to be involved in delinquency, what interventions might help prevent further delinquency, and how willing or able the family might be to engage in services. Under these demands, I have resorted to checklists and guides and adopted a business-like manner, which does not invite more detail than needed, thank you. But your interviews with Mr. Springsteen reminded me of the value of bringing something of yourself to the table, whether it's apologizing that my office is freezing cold or acknowledging that as parents, we never stop worrying. I'm again taking the time and making the effort to connect in some small way. I hope it helps the families I meet feel seen and cared for. At the very least, it reminds me that's what it's really about, being present, connecting, and trying to make this moment a little better for each other, which is what you do. Thank you. Jamie, yeah, this this is very touching to me because I'm I'm glad I I helped out. That makes sense. That you know, like that those of course those those things uh, you know would be good to connect. But I would like to say, Jamie, perhaps maybe maybe a space heater 
would be good in the office if it's that cold. If that's if if it's something you'd have to say more than once. Sorry, it's so cold in here. Maybe you know, maybe I'm crazy, but space heater might be good. So Kevin Nealon, I've always liked him. I thought he was hilarious on Update. I've been a fan of his comedy, and I've seen. I saw him uh, last at the Gary Shandling Memorial, and he was. Uh, you know, emotional and brilliant and hilarious, but touching. And it really gave me a whole different perspective on him. And I had to have him on, but I was concerned that he didn't like me. Uh, So we'll talk about that among other things. Uh, He's currently on the CBS show, man with a plan, which airs Monday nights. You can go check out his comedy tour dates at Kevin This is me and Kevin Nealon back in the garage. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called the Foxed page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Raj. When I go out now, like I just know the store will give me a bunch of spots. What do I got to run around for? Isn't it nice how it's changed? Remember when you used to wait in line to get on? Yeah, you wait in line or like, you know, you'd like, you know, scramble to do nine spots everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But I started in New York. Where'd you start? I started in Los Angeles. Really? Yeah, but I'm from Connecticut. I went to New York to the Catch a Rising Star to see what comedy was like. Like what year is that? That was in 77. So it was like pretty good then. It was good. It was packed. (laughs) You know, Richard Belzer was the MC. Yeah. A lot of tough comics. Yeah. You know, Larry David was on and... Uh, you know, all those guys. And, and, and I would sit in the audience with everybody just jammed in there and, you know, cigarette smoke everywhere. Yeah. And, you know. Watching Belzer prance around. <laughs> yeah, hecklers, Barry yeah. Diamond. Barry Diamond. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's and, still around. Yeah, but that scared me. That whole scene scared me in New York. I thought, I'm going to try Los Angeles, man. That's where all the prop comics are. You know, oh, really? It's got to be easier. No, I wasn't a prop comic, <laughs> right. but I thought, you know, I can mix in. Yeah, I mean, New York was like crazy, but I felt like that was really the thing, you know. I I, I think I came out here, I don't know, LA has always been odd to me. Where'd you grow up? Connecticut, Bridgeport, Connecticut. All the, all, your whole life? And Germany. I lived in Germany when I was a kid. Why is that? When I was six until I was 10. Uh, my father got a job for... Uh, he called it a German outfit, which would have been later hosen, but it was really a helicopter company. <laughs> yeah, he was in a, yeah. yeah, so he worked for Sikorsky Helicopters, and they had a, a contract with a uh, a company over there for an army uh, contract. Uh huh. But we didn't live on a military base like a lot of the uh, the army brats, you know, and all the military people. We lived in a German neighborhood. Yeah. So I learned how to speak fluent German, and I went to an American school. But, yeah, did you really? You, yeah. you, can you still do it? Yeah, I can still speak it. I'm not as well as I used to. But it's kind of choppy. Understand it. Yeah. 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 And that comes out. A, a, that comes up a lot in everyday life in Los Angeles. It really you, does. When I go down to Germantown, <laughs> Germans very practical. <laughs> There's not a Germantown in LA, is there? I don't think so. <laughs> There's barely an Italian town. It's weird out here. 
Yeah, there's no Italians that, that I know of. There's no, like, do you know good Italian restaurants? Like in Connecticut, New Jersey, New York. There's a good Italian restaurant every two miles. Yeah, there's good pizza places. Here's what I think, Mark. I think they should take all the little Italy's across the country yeah. and put them into one big city. And yeah. Make one big one big Italian little city. Little Italy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how how old were you when you were in Germany? I was six until I was ten. So wow. do you remember? So you have memories? Oh yeah, of oh, yeah, yeah. I remember. Um, like I said, I lived in a German neighborhood. Most of my friends were German. Right. And I would come home and I have these American toys and the German kids loved them. They had the whole, the old like um, metal lead soldiers with real paint sure, on they're, there. Sure, they're, they're hollow and Malleable, they're yeah, 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 yeah. And I would trade them and my mother would get pissed. She goes, you, you know, you traded your good toy for crap. You, yeah. know? <laughs> you trade the good plastic G.I. Joe? Yeah. And I remember this was not long after the war ended. It was like 15 years after World War II ended. Really? Yeah. It's like 59. So there's still there. that feeling of, of wreckage and weirdness? I was a kid, so I didn't know anything about you didn't, that. You didn't you know? sense the darkness? But I do remember going to one of my friend's house, houses, and uh, his father, I guess, was in the German Navy, and yeah. he had one of those display cases in the living room with all the U-boats in it and stuff on the right. fake water right. stuff. And yeah. I remember the time thinking, oh, this is cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, I can't imagine. Like, I've never been to Germany. Have you been back since? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was back, um, I was back last December. For uh, performing for the troops or No, what? I did a river cruise down the Danube with my wife and kid. Oh, just to, to go? Day, yeah, yeah, we went with the Vienna. Down was it beautiful? Oh, it's gorgeous, yeah. I've never been to Vienna. Oh, it's, you gotta go. Yeah? These, these cruises are great. You so, just sit on a boat. Bridgeport, Connecticut. That's where the, they, isn't, didn't they have the P.T. Barnum Museum there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's where Tom Thumb is from. He's from Bridgeport? Yeah, yeah. Were you sort of, you seem to know. Richard Bells is from Bridgeport, too. Is he really? Yep. Yeah, I I had one bad experience there because there was a ferry there. I used to watch that ferry every day go to Port Jefferson. I was a lifeguard on the beach down there. Yeah, and I watch it a couple times a day going back and forth. Yeah, what happened? Well, my buddy lived in. Uh, we took the ferry over because he lived by Port Jefferson, and we were in college and we we're going down there for the weekend. And we go, you know, we're kind of drunky, and I was, you know, I went to college in Boston, yeah. kind of hungover. We go, we decided to go to the P.T. Barnum Museum. <laughs> And you know some you know some dude old man who must have been with the circus at some point. I, I remember he was missing an eye, and he was working there. And he said he was you know he could tell people's fortunes, like and he grabs my hand in a very awkward way and he looks at my palm and he says, "You're going to get in a very bad accident." <laughs> That's Bridgeport. <laughs> That's the Bridgeport psychics. Yeah, it's, it's fucked it's all up. Bad news psychics. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucked me up for weeks. Just waiting. That made you a better driver. Yeah. Well, it was just, it was terrifying. But so, Bridgeport is not like a town you would think would be in Connecticut. It's very industrial. Mm-hmm. It's a port, a port city. Uh, a lot of gangs, mafia. Yeah. Uh, rub, you know, like mafia drive-bys and stuff like that. Really? And, and, and I guess apparently, uh, legend has it that Johnny Carson met with Wayne Newton at the, um, one of the diners there on Main Street in Bridgeport to discuss some kind of a casino deal. That's that's legend. That's what that's what that's is Bridgeport that's legend. Bridgeport legend right there. And it never happened. I don't know. You would have to ask Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going. You're hanging out. Your 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 dad's like in. Was he always in uh, airplanes and yeah, flying yeah. things? Yeah, we had our airplanes. Like you have guitars and everything around here. He I, had airplanes and helicopters and constantly smelling airplane glue. Growing really? up my whole life. Yeah. He made models. Yeah, yeah. Balsa wood from scratch. Uh huh. You know, With and the I learned, razor blade and razor blade, yeah. all the different uh, levels of balsa wood uh, strength, you know, and yeah. uh, the paper you put on the top, you know, of the glue. Uh, and the, yeah, with the wings. Yeah, he was that was his thing. But yeah, he, he worked, worked but that. he worked for aeronautic company. Yeah, he's or? an aeronautical engineer. Wow. So, um, so my whole life Could was he fly? like, 
Uh, he did know how to fly. I, I don't remember him flying ever, though. Yeah. Um, even though he made helicopters and helped design them and uh, got them built, he was not a fan of helicopters. Oh, really? Yeah. He said because these things. Yeah, there's so many moving parts, and <laughs> yeah. they're always vibrating. you got to tighten them like every five seconds. you know? <laughs> you got to land and tighten everything. <laughs> he didn't have a lot of faith in the helicopter? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I think he did, but but I don't think he liked those. Did you ever go them. up in them? Yeah, I've been up in them. I don't like them. It's kind of fun when you're up there, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, as long as you don't start realizing it's just that one. <laughs> I did a movie. Um, yeah. I did a movie a couple of years ago. Walk of Shame, it's called. Uh-huh. With, uh, oh, Steve Brill's movie. Yeah. Elizabeth I Banks. Know, you know, Steve and I went to college together. Did you really? Yeah. We, we wrote together. Oh, we, wow. were, we were best friends. And cool. then, then it went away. That and happens, then, doesn't it? It does. It, but For we're, some reason. We're okay now. We made it. You know, he came on and we got it back together and I see him occasionally. So Steve goes... Um, you know, we got a helicopter scene. You comfortable in a helicopter? I said, not really. You know, not really. He goes, okay, we'll do a green screen. Uh-huh. You know, I said, okay, that, that'd be great. And I'm, uh, and then he goes, you know, a day before, hey, the green screen's not working out. We yeah. got a, a really nice helicopter. You know, it won't be a problem at all. And I'm looking at the weather. You know, it's supposed to be rainy and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay, because I don't know how to say no to people. Right. You know, even if it, my life is on the line. So I go down there and I'm driving to the location and I don't see the helicopter. It's up on the roof right. of, a, of a high building. Right. And I hate heights to begin with. <laughs> so um, I go up there and- uh, Oh my God. And he's got a whole lot of new lines for me. you know, I, On top of being on, on top a building of it, yeah. and a helicopter. Yeah. So we get into, it's like that one of those little helicopters, all glass in the front. <sighs> so they have the cameras and stuff. And, and uh, we take off from the building <sighs> and he's got the cameras mounted and he's, he's squished behind the back seat and he's Steve, going action. And yeah. I'm going, Steve, let me just rehearse as we're going and get used to this uh, yeah. helicopter. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, we hung out for like 35 minutes over the 405 freeway, Dodger stadium. And I think this is really cool. Right. This is cool. Yeah. But I'm thinking, you know, let's not push it anymore. Let's head back. Let's yeah. Head yeah. Back. We've done yeah. it. We've, we got it. Yeah. So you got through the nerves. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like one of the few times I've been up in a helicopter. Oh God. You have a hard time saying no to people. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is that an issue? Uh, it has been uh, with my wife. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> and for me, too. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's not good. I know Why, a lot because of, you spread yourself thin? Well, yeah, you spread yourself thin, and then the people that you love the most kind of uh, are inconvenienced because oh. you've promised your time to other people. Oh, or, right, right, right. You know, I got to um, go do a thing. But it's a matter of wanting to be liked and accepted. Right. You know? I had to, yeah, I, it definitely. It, 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 I don't know if it always pays off that way. It doesn't. People start taking advantage of you. Sure, you're like a mark. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I'm learning all these things later in life, you know, how to be um, a a better uh, partner and also to have a fuller life and be more, you know, Have uh, those boundaries. Yeah, and have boundaries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, no, I can't. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I I don't get mad. I get mad, but I keep it inside. Oh, good for you. You No, I dump it all over the place. Passive aggressive and then depression. So I'm learning now to get very angry and to fight. Really? Yeah. So how's it going? We'll we'll see in the next hour. <laughs> well, that's funny because you say that because like for years, I thought you didn't like me. I didn't like you. Yeah, and like you know the <laughs> the weird thing is you probably you probably didn't feel either way because I didn't see you that often. No, no, you're right. I didn't like you. Oh, good. I was hoping you'd say no. That. I had no. I I yeah. liked you fine. You're another comic. Yeah, I always felt like you know there was some part of it uh, like you were almost like oh this guy. 
I have people like that too. I think they see me. They go, "Oh, this guy. Yeah, this right? guy. No, no. I. It was not this guy. It was that guy. Oh, it was, oh, it was that, that guy. guy. <laughs> yeah. No, I. I had no. Uh, yeah, I didn't know funny. you that well. I knew you were a funny comic, and mm-hmm. you know, you did your thing. You had yeah. a certain style, and uh, and I had my whole life. I think a lot of that. Sometimes we we are, are perceiving like our own insecurities. You know. Well, that's right. But like the 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 fact that you say that, like you know, a lot of times when if you're one of those people that keeps your anger in and yeah. you, you control all that stuff, there's part of me that's sort of like, what's he got? What, what has he got going on? You know, I, I can't read that guy. What's up with that guy? This is such a screwy business, man. It, it, it attracts the most insecure people. I know. You know, and, and odds are you're not going to make it. You know? It's true. And uh, yet we stay with it and we stay with it. Isn't that weird? Because like you, at some point you don't have a choice. Like you don't even, there's nothing in your brain that's sort of like, I could always, you know, I did, there was never any answer to that. Yeah. That it, was practical. It gets to a point where you're too far in and you right. can't back out. And I like I always had my BS in marketing to fall back on. Oh, you went to college and yeah. did that? Yeah, I have a BS in marketing. Um, but I just got a letter from the college telling me that I can no longer fall back on it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been expired. <laughs> Not going to help you. No, Wait, no. Where'd you go to school? I went to Sacred Heart University in Connecticut. Catholic? School. Is that Catholic yeah, It was Catholic, but you didn't really, you couldn't tell it was. We brought up Catholic? Yeah. Like hardcore? Nah, well, you know, just church on Sundays. Oh, yeah? You get there before the communion. Scared you know, of hell? Five minutes. No. No, oh, good. Not so anymore. Did, did, not anymore. <laughs> not after show business. Is that now is that uh what? is that tobacco you're spitting in there? No, it's a coffee. Oh coffee. <laughs> I was gonna say that's a lot of tobacco spit. No, glass. I wouldn't do that. I, I I've done that occasionally in my life. I enjoy a dip occasionally. Yeah. So So I, I was raised Catholic. How I, many brothers and sisters? I have two brothers, two sisters. Oh, so it's big. Yeah. And I have a son. I have a ten year old who is not raised in any uh religion you're not giving him that you're not no, going to do that he believes in god he we does him that yeah he believes I, in the, there's a higher power yeah and uh and you know my wife and i we thought we'd teach him about all different religions mm-hmm. and let him choose but yeah. that doesn't really happen you no, know not I mean? a, a certain not a, yeah not and a, i always thought you know growing up um she said you know we're not going to baptize him or anything that's ridiculous because right. she wasn't raised catholic and um and i said okay but in my head i'm thinking well i'll just you know i'll just take him one day <laughs> When he's like, you know, not eight months her. old, not tell her, have the priest baptize just him, boom, hedge just bets. in case, yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah, yeah. in case. Yeah. And uh, and then I let too much time go by. And now he'll tell her. Now he'll tell her yeah, if I do that. You can't hide the secret? No, yeah, no, yeah. no. So he's unbaptized. He's just out there in the world de- defenseless against uh, whatever not being baptized makes you vulnerable to. Yeah, but I will tell you that I am an ordained minister now. What? Uh, I did a, th- a thing for the Ellen show where I could, uh, they wanted me to marry some people at the wh- Little White Wedding Chapel. And uh-huh. things, you know, I was doing some field pieces for her. So with, they got me ordained. With the Universal Church or whatever? Uh, with that? the Open Ministry. Yeah. On, we- on the World Wide Web. And so I did that. You know, I did some funky marriages out there. And, um, and then I just married a friend of mine the other day, uh, Kirk Fox. I was looking over the, my thing to make sure I was, this was going to be legal. You know, so I was doing research. And then it says on there that I could also baptize people. <laughs> Really? Uh, yes. In in what in any church or like how, uh, I how guess in work? the open ministry thing, just baptize somebody. Doesn't well, have to be any denomination. I guess so. That's and and uh, is this something you're going to do? Like, is this maybe like if things start to get thin? You well, know, I with might the baptize, show business career. I might like baptize you, my wife and my kid while they're just sleeping. To be sure, yeah. <laughs> Why am I wet? <laughs> <Shh>. <laughs> What do I smell burning? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's an <laughs> smoking reefer. It's an accident. So, all right. So, when when do you when do you become disillusioned with the the BS in marketing? What kind of jobs were you doing? You would be a great police interrogator. 
Really? So you came out of the shop with your friend at about eight o'clock. Yeah, and, and then what, uh, what were you thinking? Yeah, yeah. You know, it was dark. Why were you holding <laughs> yeah. the gun? Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, I only went to uh, to to get my degree in, in marketing because I didn't know what I wanted to do, or that's I was afraid one, to get into comedy. Well, that's one of those weird degrees. Did you actually learn anything? It, it seems like one of those kind of BS, BSs. You know, I learned how to get work done and to meet deadlines, mm-hmm. if anything, and I kind of learned about subliminal advertising, mm-hmm. which is a, became a, one of the bits that's I did. It's a famous bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but also, I was interested in music too at the time. Like you, I I love the guitar. I grew up playing the guitar and the banjo, the five string banjo. Really, you're a good banjo mm-hmm. player? Not bad. I play with Steve Martin once in a while. You know, we, we recorded uh, the theme to Weeds. Uh, oh yeah, on one of the uh, episodes. I could see you guys being friends. You guys but are I, pals. Yeah, yeah. He's he's real good though. Right? Yeah, he's really good. I don't see him that often, but you know, when he's in town, I see him. But I'm not like a big bluegrass fan. I don't enjoy listening to a lot of bluegrass music. So do you play like blues banjo? No, I just play oh. bluegrass songs, but, but I don't play that often. I'll pick it up every once in a while. And I'm really, I'm looking for a lot of, like I play the guitar, not yeah. that well. I've been playing forever. I got, Me too, I got yeah. maybe 10 guitars at yeah. home, nice ones. And then I just got a uh, ukulele that I'm learning how to play. That's fun. I have a yeah. mandolin. It's re- oh. it's like meditative for me to play, you know, to you know, yeah. to sort of take the time to do it. I don't have many things. I don't have uh, children or wives. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to meditate. But if I lock into the guitar for a half hour, that's meditation. Good. Yeah, it is kind of, isn't it? Yeah, but I am playing the piano now. I started taking lessons last July. Really? Somebody goes, "Why now? Why now?" It's yeah. Like, what, what am I going to die? <laughs> you know, why not now? How are you doing with that with the I two love hands? It. Are I'm, you good? Because it, it feels to me like to get the two hands doing different things hard. Well, that's what you do on a guitar. I guess that's you know? true. But I, so, but that is a little difficult. And also you're reading two different lines of music. I can't read the bass music. and then the, right. the, whatever they call it, the clef and the treble. And you can do that? I'm learning how to do it. It's it's not easy, but it's a challenge. And, um, and I do like it. I mean, you know, you really can understand music a lot better than what you're looking at on the fretboard yeah you know because it's all laid out there for you you see right. all the notes yeah and you could see all the chord um you right know, um and design. you can kind of hear it yeah and, and, and see where it's going mm-hmm. as opposed to just the three chords <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> gonna go up to an a now <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you know i'm learning why an a minor is an a minor mm. you know where i didn't really know on the guitar i just knew how to form it you know right yeah you, yeah you take that finger off and put the other one yeah. there <laughs> It sounds yeah, different. Yeah. It's sad now. <laughs> it's sad, but I do like it, and um, and it. Uh, Did you play in bands? I I was in a few garage bands. We yeah. weren't that good. You, you didn't know? play out. We played at our parties. We would have the party, and sure. we would hire ourselves at the band. Right. Play. You had like six songs. Yeah. Yeah. Drink. We started playing them over again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what? What? Where'd the comedy bug hit? The comedy. Um. The comedy thing came from. Like a lot of comics, I was very quiet growing up, very shy. Really? Yeah. I was yeah. the opposite kind. Were you? Yeah. Never shut up, annoyed people, <laughs> disruptive in class. So you had to be funny then. You got kicked out of school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You had to have a reason for doing that. I loved uh, practical jokes. I loved the, the fake brandy glass. Looked like you were going to throw it at somebody. And I remember that. Out. I had one of those, yeah. The fake puke, the fake sure. melting uh, ice cream. Sure. I love getting reactions from people like that. And then, you the know. The surprise. The surprise. Yeah. And then as a family, we traveled a lot through Europe in cars. You know, we drove a lot on mm-hmm. vacations. I learned how to swim in Greece. I learned how to ski in Austria. And so my two brother, my brother and my sister and I were in the car together a lot. My other brother and sister weren't born for 12 years later. But so we had to keep ourselves busy and yeah. entertained. Sure. And so we're always trying to outdo it, each other. Yeah. So I think that's where I started developing the comedy. And then, you know, probably like you, I grew up watching Jerry Lewis movies and... Uh, Not so much Jerry, but I think I was more... 
I'm trying to think they're like Woody Allen, I think. Woody was Allen really too, the, yeah. The yeah. thing that was sort of like, holy shit. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Woody Allen came too and and then I liked guys like Albert Brooks and Steve Martin and Andy Kaufman because they were so unique and original. Yeah, you know? I, my guys early on, I think like Buddy Hackett, like actually, like when I was real young. Yeah, yeah, that was and, wrong. That's and, not right. Yeah, Jackie Vernon. <laughs> also wrong. Yeah, yeah. and Come then on, like <laughs> later I got the records, you know, I got the Richard Pryor records, the George Carlin records, Cheech and Chong records. Yeah, it was yeah. the records, you know. The records, uh, Bill Cosby too. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Chicken Heart. Yep. Chicken Heart and uh, the First Family. Did you listen to them, the Kennedy, the First Family? I didn't listen to them. There's a little too much going on for me. Hey, speaking of Jackie Vernon, I, yeah. I worked with him a couple of times you did? before he died. Yeah, in I Houston, just, I remember. I just I just bought a record yesterday, a Jackie Vernon record right. with a right. watermelon on front. I don't know what he's doing. I got two I two comedy records yesterday because I pick them up if I don't have them. Yeah. You know, I don't have a lot of comedy records, but wh- what was that like? It was interesting. I was It was early in my career, and I was opening for him. And Where? Uh, in Houston. Huh. I think Houston and somewhere else. And he was, um, you know, he'd been doing it forever. He was out, he was, his idea of the, during the day, he would go to a pharmacy <laughs> yeah. and he'd get a shopping cart in the yeah. pharmacy. Yeah. And he loved to get anything that came with like a free umbrella yeah. or free cologne right. with it. Anything with the extra thing. And he'd get a lot of hair dye. Uh-huh. And uh, he would go to the hotel and he'd show up at the club that night and he had jet black hair. <laughs> Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. And uh, he did his famous, you know, slideshow. Slide yeah. yeah. And um, and that was it. He, you know, he flirted with the waitresses. Uh huh. You know, what year was that? Because I saw him when I was like eleven, and that was a, like sort of a life changing thing for me. My parents took me, yeah. to a lounge to see him, and mm-hmm. we were close. And he was just sitting there, and I could just see the weird beaded sweat, and he was old. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, he did sweat. You know, and he was sort of, you know, just kind of walking through it, but it felt dirty. You know, like just to see, be that close to a comic at that age doing that thing that he's done a million times. It just, it felt like, well, this is a different world. Yeah, yeah. Whatever that is, you know, I want a part of that. Well, a lot of those comics from back then, they didn't work in comedy clubs. They worked in the strip clubs coming mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. You know, same with like Rodney. Yeah. Dangerfield. Did you know him? I met him. I was close to a guy um, from Car 54, Joey Ross. Oh my God. You know he's I, He's a notorious monster. He's a monster. Well, like he's like the he's, a, you know, you know from being a comic for years yeah. that there there is a spectrum of behavior. Yeah, <laughs> that comics are prone to. Right, right. And you know, he was far end of the spectrum. Yeah, well, I knew that he he had a, took a real liking to me. I was yeah. bartending at the Improv. This uh-huh. was like around 1980. Yeah, and he would come in. He knew I was an aspiring comic, and uh, and we'd get on stage together sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, and we'd do like bits. Like we he'd have the cigar, and we'd talk like we'd been doing vaudeville forever. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. Oh, that's nice. And um, one day he came into the improv and he goes, I, I might have a job for you. Yeah. He goes, what, what do you get played in a club? Like 25 bucks? I said, yeah. He goes, what is it, Joey? I said, let, 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 I'll, I'll tell you. Let me think of it. Let me, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you. <laughs> I'll tell you now. <laughs> and I took us. Yeah. And he goes, you know, I just married uh, Trudy. Yeah. I guess her name was Trudy. I forget her name, but <laughs> she was this ex-prostitute. Sure. That had her eye shot out in uh, Dallas, I think, uh-huh. a long time ago. And, a one-eyed uh, prostitute. A glass eye. Yeah. And uh, he married her. Yeah. And he said, you know, um, you know, I, uh, you come from a good family. You're, you know, you're a funny guy. Yeah. You know, good looking. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he said, you know, uh, she, she wants to have a kid. I'm 70 years old and I can't, you know, I'm 70. I can't, you know, nothing's happening down there. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you what you get in the club, 25 bucks. You go up there and, uh, you know, she'll show you a good time too. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking at him thinking, you know, are you, this is a joke, right? It's a joke. And he was serious. I said, Joey, let me think about this. <laughs> let me think. Well, you think about it. Yeah. He comes in the next day, he sees me, makes a beeline to me. Because you know, she's back home thinking, what do he say? What do yeah, he say? Yeah, right. He comes over, what, so he goes, what do you think? 
What do you think? I said, Joe, I'm flattered, first of all. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but it's, you know, it's not really, uh, I'm really trying to get into comedy. I'm yeah. trying to focus on that. <laughs> I can't knock up your wife right now. He said, so, uh, he said, come on, come on. I said, okay. So, because I can't say no. <laughs> so, I got a 22-year-old somewhere. No. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. But, um, you, you were able to say no on that yeah, one, Yeah, I huh? did say no on that one. But, did he yeah, have those... the ante? Did he say, like, 50 bucks? <laughs> No, he didn't. I should have got my agent involved. <laughs> but yeah, those guys all came from a different, whole different generation of comedy. So now you graduate college. How do you like say, I'm going to do this? Well, like I said, I wanted to get into music. I loved like Crosby, Stills, and Nash and James Taylor, that whole thing. So you yeah. wanted to be a folk singer. So I wanted to be like in a band like that. Yeah, sweet and, music. Yeah, and it was so hard to like, I would go to all the coffee houses at college and I'd, I'd listen to all the music and I'd play with a candle and have a ball of wax all over my fingers. You know, yeah, yeah, stay yeah. there for the whole thing. Trying to get up the courage. Yeah, but it, but I wasn't even on the list. I was just there to watch because right. I thought I might want to do that. And um, and I was so nervous about singing in front of people. It seemed so intimate. Terrifying. Comedy, I feel the same way. Comedy seemed much easier. And, yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm, te- I'm terrified of singing in so, front of people. Yeah. So I remember I was raking leaves once after college. I was back home raking leaves and the radio was on. I had the radio outside listening to music. And a report came on that Freddie Prince died. Yeah. And it was a big deal. Yeah. And I, you know, we all knew Freddie Prince and... And it dawned on me then what an impact comedy has on life, right. on people. Right. And, um, and I thought, I, I, in a sense, I almost thought there was an opening in L.A. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Since yeah. he died. So I came out here and... and uh, it's one down. I got, this guy, they probably need somebody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I moved to San Diego at first. You know, I drove, I drove my grandfather's old car out here. It had over 100,000 miles on it. Yeah. Back then, that was a lot of miles. Yeah. And uh, breezed through L.A., stopped, met Bud Freeman, saw the improv, went down to San Diego. Me and my buddy hung out there. We got more jobs working as department store Santa Claus is down there. You met Bud Freeman? Yeah. Uh, would you just go by to do an open mic? Or no, we went work? like in the afternoon. We stopped in there just to check out the club. Oh, yeah. And he was there. Yeah. And, With uh, his monocle? Yeah. No, this is before the monocle. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and he was showing me the, the newspaper clippings on the walls. And what stuff. year is that? Very nice. This is 78. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's like... Uh, Sort of heading into that first boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go to San Diego? So I go to San Diego, and, I'm, and I'm, my intention is to go back to L.A. My buddy met a girl down in San Diego. They ended up getting married, still married, two kids. But I, I, I slept on their couch for a little bit. Then I came, I would go to the comedy store in La Jolla to watch. And there was two guys there. I, I didn't know who was who. And one of them um, had a gap between the teeth, and the other one had a big chin. And it was Letterman and Leno. Oh, you know? she and was I never, sending them down there yeah, to do the yeah, weekends. yeah. yeah. And I would see Johnny Dark down there. Johnny Kip Dark. Adada. Kip. And I thought, these guys are great, man. They so, were great. And then I would see Robin Williams. Yeah? Like at the Laugh Stop. So that place was open all the way back then. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny, that place, like, as the years went by and the ivy crawled up the sides of the structure. Did you see, like, like a few years ago, I don't remember the last time I did La Jolla, but I went down there. And, and, and it's in the middle of San Diego. The entire place is covered in ivy. It really? was like the, the earth was trying to take it back. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, it was like, how, how could she yeah. you know, franchise the haunted nature of that fucking place on Sunset down to San Diego? And I'm like, you walk into that place and you're like, it's just as fucking dark and weird as the other one. Yeah, yeah. Oh. You know, you see, the, you see the MC and you go, wow, this guy's good. 
Yeah. This is before you kind of knew about comedy. Yeah, yeah. And then the opener would come on and you go, oh, that guy's good. Oh, that's better than the MC. Yeah. And the middle guy come on and go, oh, no one's going to be better than this guy. And then yeah. the, MC, the headliner comes out, oh my God. Right. It's <laughs> amazing. Know? Yeah, yeah. That's the way it's supposed to work. Yeah. <laughs> so after that, Mark, I just went up to LA. You know, I, I slept on some couches for a while and got a, a really cheap apartment with a, uh, a roommate, 135 bucks a month. We split it yeah. two ways. Sixty-seven fifty. Where was it? It was uh, near Paramount. Oh, okay. Yeah, in Hollywood. What was the other guy doing? He was a, a you know aspiring comic. What happened to that guy? He went back to LA, uh, to Ohio. Yeah, yeah. Um, through but, the towel in. Through the towel in, which is commendable. Some people don't know when to throw it in. That's for fucking sure. That's the problem with this business. You don't. You never know. What, Who's going to fire you? You. Yeah. And then after a certain point, it becomes a pride thing. Mm-hmm. So how do you start? Where do you go? Well, you know, you, you try to come up with your own style. You don't have that at the beginning because you're emulating. Everybody's emulating somebody. Back then, they were emulating either Letterman or uh, you know Richard Pryor yeah. or Woody Allen. And um, and so you go to open mic nights at the comedy store or uh, the improv. Potluck. Yeah, potluck. Yeah. That's what I did. You know, I hit all the open mic club, try to get a, a style together. You were conscious of that? Yeah. I worked at the improv as a bartender. So I was there at the heyday when people, the room was packed and Robin was coming back from work and 78? 78, 79, 80, around there. Really? He had the suspenders on from work and Mini. He'd go in and kill it. You know, Andy Kaufman would go on and I'd be watching from like a little peephole up in the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Richard Lewis, Destroyed, you know, all these new You saw all those guys, yeah. Mm -hmm. Jay Leno? Yeah, they just, they'd been there like two or three years by that point, right? Those were the established comics. Right, because like, I guess the scene really started in earnest like 74, 75, right? 73, the guys started coming out? Yeah, I think so. And then there was the strike, the big strike, which was, I remember being at the the improv and uh, somebody coming in saying, Steve Lubeckin just jumped off the Hyatt. Oh my God. Did you know him? I did. I knew. I knew of him. I saw him. You know. I watched him. And but Richard Lewis uh, was, was his a, best a, friend. Yeah, his best friend. He was at the club at the time when this guy came in and said it, and he just freaked. He ran out and almost got hit by a car in Melrose. You oh know? my god! So there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of tension during that time. You know, who's working at what club? Who's striking? Who's not? You know. Uh, it's funny because you know I I had um, Jimmy Walker in here, and. Uh, you know, he played both clubs, and Bud thought, you know, he you know, he owed him and that Mitzi, and, but, you know, Jimmy was just doing what he was doing, and he, he brought up the fact that, you know, it was still not, this was like a couple of years ago. He said, you know, Bud's still mad at me for that. I'm like, come on, come on, right? And then, like, I had Bud in here, and sure enough, you know, I said, you, you have any grudges? Like, you know, Jimmy Walker. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, unbelievable. But then there was the fire, right? Were you there? With I was the- there that night, yeah. What the hell happened there? I was bartending. Um, Jack Grayman came out of the back showroom. Jack Grayman. Yep, a comic. Yeah, yeah, all those pictures in the comedy store. Yeah. Like, you put faces to him. Yeah, I know. And he looks at me, wide eyes. He goes, I'm not joking. I'm not kidding. The back room is on fire. The showroom's on fire. So, you know, we called the, the fire department came. We all piled out, and we watched the place burn down in the back. I don't ever know what happened with that. There's a lot of different stories about what happened. How that it was, it was an uh, arson thing. An know, arson job. An arson done by, by comics from the comedy store. Uh, I've heard other stories like oh, really? Vegas. Oh, really? Like, kind of the mob and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, because there was a club there too, but I don't know what the story is. No one knows. No. When did you start coming into your own then? You're bartending, so you're doing what, one or two spots a week? I'm bartending on Sunday, Monday nights, the slow nights, and I'm, you know, I'm filling in if a comic doesn't show up. Right. puts me on, which is fun. So-and-so didn't show up. Who can go on? Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's not only a bad bartender, he's a bad comic. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, I did that for a while. I was getting some commercials. You know, I got an agent. Did you hang out with Kaufman? I, I it would see him a lot at the improv. Mm-hmm. And I remember going up to him one night outside the front of the improv because I was such a fan. Yeah. And I asked him about TM, Transcendental Meditation, because yeah. I knew he was into that. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, he talked to me for maybe a half hour about it. And I didn't hear a word he said. I was just looking at his face, looking at the moles on his face, yeah. you know, and yeah. just examining everything. And right. <laughs> and he wasn't in character and he was just no, being he honest. Was, yeah, he was just being very, uh, yeah. Oh, that's wild, man. I even, I think I dated like an ex-girlfriend of his for a while. Because she was his ex-girlfriend? No, no. Just, be, just, that. just because. Well, she, they're around, right? Yeah. Yeah, people who are around comedy, you're around comedy. Yeah. So yeah. when did you meet? Because, you know, I, I did see you. I was at the Gary Shandling's memorial. And it was so sad, but so life uh, affirming yeah. in some odd way. And and the your your eulogy was so beautiful and so funny and so real and emotional. Did you did you plan that? Well, he died March twenty fourth, and the memorial is April twenty fourth. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. So I had a month to think about. Yeah. What Gary meant to me. And the times we had together. Yeah. And what was so special about him and yeah. what was so unique and what was so unusual and what was so difficult about him. Yeah. You know, the whole being of Gary. Yeah. So I did plan it and I, I would be on the road working and I would be looking at old texts and, you know, emails from him and, uh. you know, thinking about him really because he was a good friend and I lost the, a good friend. Yeah. So yeah, I put a lot of that together and um and I shaped it and I thought about it and I thought about um how would I get through this? Well, yeah. You know, cuz I'm not good at that stuff. Yeah. And so um I tried to make it light at times right. and add a joke, yeah. you know. Um which was also kind of you know t- talked about the uh, essence of Gary. Yeah, it was know. amazing. He wrote that with me. Because I would write with him so often on the phone, right, or, or in person, you know, or from a, uh, out of town somewhere, yeah. And I could just hear him thinking, "No, this doesn't flow here." You know, that doesn't, you know, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it was, um, it was very powerful. It was, it was, it was a very uh, cathartic for me to ha- be able to have that time and do that, and yeah. To um, deliver it. When did you start hanging out with him? I don't know the exact time, but it was probably in the early. 80s yeah just because we both had the same passion and same yeah. desires and so i'd see him in the comedy clubs and, and you guys are joke guys too like you know you you write your shit yeah yeah it is jokes yeah <laughs> i mean i don't know what it is now but it's i remember coming from a uh, doing a college gig uh, a couple years ago maybe 10 years ago now yeah and the girl driving me back to the airport the college kid she's quiet in the car and then halfway there she goes uh i really enjoyed your act old school <laughs> Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh so i guess they are jokes but but well, yeah. i don't say that in a, in a condescending way i just mean like uh, we all do jokes yeah but there are guys like the one thing that you know having i talked to gary in here you know and it was it, it was it was great you know it was very yeah. spiritual and thoughtful and 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 as candid as he's you know willing to get because i didn't know him that well but i i found myself you know really sort of uh, impressed and moved and inspired by him as a person. Have and, not, and I didn't know him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I know I knew his work and I always liked him. But you know when I was at the the memorial, like it was really it was profoundly 
sort of moving to me to get the 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 kind of the portrait of that guy yeah. from all you guys and just you know what was so special about him and, and the reason i talk about jokes and the reason i i say it with reverence is that you know there you know the way that you balance a joke or the way that he balances a joke and you know how you know how it fits with your personality and and the sort of control you execute over it and the risks you take within it they're they're very they're very real. There's a whole craft in place there. You know, yeah. I I babble on until something works, and then I do it again, <laughs> yeah. and then I trim it up. You know what I mean? There's not much on the paper. Yeah, yeah. But like you know, <clears throat> I became very impressed with because I don't know that I thought of him. Well, I think what really came together for me when when you guys you know were were reflecting on his life was that he really did show himself through his jokes, and I think that. When you know when people say that old school or you know you do jokes or stuff that the idea is like there's a distance there. But the thing I didn't really realize fully about him was that like he's all in it, you know, in his jokes. Yeah, and his jokes or his material was always changing because he was always changing. Right. And, and discovery. Yeah. You know, and he was always trying to like he did with his TV shows, always push it. Yeah. And try to get to that next level and yeah. evolve. Yeah. You know? So it was it was fun to see him with all of his. Legal pad papers crumbled and, you know, scribblings on there mixed in with the Buddhist sayings right, and right. things. And, and then just, you know, the chaos of all that. Well, the struggle to to sort of, you know, kind of move your ego aside, you know, as a comic, you know, yeah. to find some sort of enlightenment when you're, you know, as neurotic as he was. I mean, that's like, an, that had to be an ongoing struggle. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah, I mean, if somebody said Gary's crazy, yeah, y y you couldn't argue with them, right? You know, you would say, yeah, yeah, he's crazy and he's talented and he's sensitive yeah. and yeah, yeah. But crazy is definitely one of the, uh, <laughs> the characteristics. Yeah. <laughs> did you guys tour together a lot? We did some touring. Yeah, yeah, we did a lot of touring. Um, not a lot, but we did a couple of tours here and there. And we get together on stage a lot. The Comedy Magic Club. We get on stage together and do like a little comedy team thing you don't see that much anymore people playing like that maybe i'm not out enough but like it used to happen at comedy clubs so. yeah i think he liked it because it was spontaneous uh, yeah spontaneous and yeah impulsive and we we both had a <clears throat> definite character we were doing yeah like yeah. i would call i would say to him why do you have to be with the potty mouth all the time you know <laughs> and he would recoil and you know and and he wouldn't he actually liked it because he didn't want to be on stage alone uh -huh. because he, i guess he was going through a thing where he had stopped doing stand-up for a while and he's trying to get back into it and he felt more secure oh, with yeah. me on there with him right and eventually the plan was for me to leave the stage and let him do his act this is like just a few years ago right yeah 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 because i saw him i never go down there but I saw him once there, the Comedy Magic Club. He showed up there, and it seemed like he was trying to get back yeah. in it. Yeah. And it was interesting, because also he was into boxing. Yeah. You know, he had a little boxing gym. Yeah. He and Peter Berg, uh, you know, leased in uh, Santa Monica. So he loved boxing. And, and he'd get on stage, and he'd almost be going through boxing moves as he's doing his delivery. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And then after a while, it became like long, he would take long pauses on stage. And because people loved him and knew him, they allowed it. Yeah. But I don't know what, if he was fishing for something or, or what, or if he was just... Being present. Trying to be as present and open as possible. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like it might be it. That's the, yeah, I knew he was... In, but also the other thing that like I, I gleaned from everyone talking about him was just how secretly almost like in selfless he was in helping people out. Yeah, that's... And I knew him well, and yeah. I didn't know how much involved he was with these philanthropic causes... 
And also know. just comics. Comics, You know, yeah. like you needed a little help, a little writing, a yeah. little this, hang out, do the basketball game. The basketball game was famous. I sent them a script once, uh, an idea, a pilot that I wrote. Yeah. With my wife. And he, um, we never really talked about it. Mm-hmm. And after he died, it was sitting on his office desk. Uh, this is like two years later. Yeah. You know. So it was constantly something that was on his mind, I think, uh-huh. and him wanting to get to it. And just yeah, never, never, never got to it? Uh, either he got to it and he didn't like it and didn't want to tell me. <laughs> Maybe it's better off. Yeah. You don't know. Yes. <laughs> yes. But uh, just that it was still on the table yeah. made me happy. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry you lost your friend. This Thank is a horrible you. thing. Thank you. So when, how does SNL happen? You know, before <clears throat> I forget, you know, I was a guest on The Conspiracy Zone. You know that. Were you really? I was. Which episode? It was so weird, man. Like that was like 2002, <laughs> and I got you know it was like the, you know, and I was sort of like into conspiracies, kind of. But I, you know, I, it was it was kind of a vague show in a way. It was, yeah. And you, you know, it was like I think there was a panel of people, and you had certain. I hosted it, and we had a panel of uh, experts, quote unquote, yeah, on on the uh, topic, yeah. And uh, like we did one, uh, did we really land on the moon? Yeah, and, right. And we tried to get Buzz Aldrin. Yeah. And he called me at home. He goes, I'm just not going to, um, I'm not going to um, validate yet. any of this by doing that. I yeah. appreciate you wanting me on the show, but I, I just, <laughs> thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> he was aware of the conspiracy yeah. theory. Yeah, yeah, I was on, oddly, I was nervous about it, and I was on with Ann Coulter. She was on too, huh? Yeah. And at that time, which showed you, you know, how naive I was about politics and, and, and the whole world. I was so self-consumed or whatever because a couple of years later I got very involved in politics but I had no idea who she was. And, I probably didn't either. Yeah. Well, you have a booker, right? And yeah. I, and I kind of knew you and you kind of knew me but I remember, I don't remember what I said or what, the, what, the, what we were talking about but I was booked on that show and I did it. <laughs> I don't know if anyone saw it. That was Scott know. Carter uh, created that, that show. That was it. From, Scott uh, Carter. From Bill Maher's from, show. Yeah, from Real Politically time. Incorrect. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's yeah. why Coulter was on. That's right. That's that right. would have been it. Yeah, that kind of uh, came and went that show, but it was fun doing it. Um, Saturday Night Live came. I was not pursuing Saturday Night Live. I was a stand-up. All I wanted to do was stand-up. Comedy. And were you doing all right? I was doing good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I quit the bartending job. I was working on the road. I was doing some commercials. And that, that was a big club boom. So there's a lot of clubs. Yeah. So you're headlining. Yeah, because I did the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and that went well. And uh, what year was that? That was '84. And who were your friends at that time? Were you like, uh, were you hanging out with well, Dana? Well, I and- still have my um, answering machine from all my congratulations from my friends, like you know Gary Shanling. Oh, really? Uh, Brad Garrett, Paul Reiser, you know those p- types of people. Oh, really? You have the tape? I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm nostalgic. I save a lot of stuff. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. So um, Johnny Carson, that that kind of came quickly. I a couple years got in. into stand up in like seventy eight, yeah. seventy nine, and that came in eighty four. Yeah. And I auditioned a few times before for Jim McCulley. Sure. And it's always nerve wracking. Yeah. You know, and, and then I never passed. And then he calls and he says, hey, Mike Nesmith from the Monkees is doing a show. And he, um, you know, we'll put you on the bill too, see if you could pass, you know, see if you could be on the show. So I said, I'm going to do what I think is funny and not do what I think Johnny Carson will like. Uh-huh. And I did that. And he calls me the next day. He goes, hey, the, good, the, the, the bad news is you're not doing the Mike Nesmith show. The good news is you're doing the Tonight Show if you'd like. So it happened very quickly. And, and it meant something then. It meant something. I mean, that was the show. It yeah. was the only show. Right. And Johnny Carson. Yeah. Know? And um, now you don't even really put it on your resume because it dates you, you know. Yeah. 
<laughs> but 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 at that time you do it and everyone watches, so you, you it ups your 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 crowds, right? Yeah. You, you you start people want to see mm-hmm. you at the club. I had met this guy, Mike Brown. He's still a good friend of mine, my best friend, and he um he and I meshed together. He wasn't even a comedy writer. He worked for UPS. <laughs> yeah, you know, and yeah. Uh, we just hit it off and we started writing stuff together, and and that's kind of ultimately what got me on the Tonight Show, and um. I'm going over my five-minute act in my head. You know how you do it before you go? Oh, yeah. And this is huge. I've never done uh, a big TV show like the, before. And I'm going over it. Because like, three days later, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And you could be talking to me now, and I'd be nodding. You think I'm listening, but yeah. really, I'm going over my act. Sure, yeah. I get to the Tonight Show. I had been there before. When I first moved out here, I would go all the time to the Tonight Show because it was free tickets. Yeah. It was like a Vegas show. So you'd go watch. I would go watch. You did a lot of watching before you did A lot of watching. Yeah. yeah. A lot of pacing. And so uh, I'm behind the curtain. Jim McCauley's there, and the band's playing. I know the band. I know everybody in the band because yeah. I watched them so many times. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. where Johnny's sitting. Yeah. And the band stops. And I'm going over my act in my head. Yeah. And Johnny introduces me. The curtains open up. A crowd applause. I go blank. No. I cannot come think on. of my act. I swear to God, I cannot think oh. of my act, <laughs> which has been a, a current nightmare for me over the years. Oh, how could that go away? And I get out to my mark, and they're applauding still, and I'm trying to remember my opening line. And uh, the applause subside, and it comes into my head, and I start, yeah. and I'm getting laughs, yeah. and applauses, and laughs, and I can't believe it. And Johnny behind me, I could hear him laughing, and Ed McMahon, and I'm out on the floor now. I'm doing yeah. what I've watched so many people do, right. even from the improv, watching the other comics on the on TV, the TV set yeah. there. And I do it, and I finish, and um, I go back behind the curtain. Johnny gives me the okay thing. I go behind the curtain. I'm so happy. I'm so relieved. And Jim McCauley goes, okay, great job. Hang here. I think Johnny's going to want you to come out and talk to you after the commercial. Yeah. And I said, what? He goes, yeah, what can we talk about? He goes, oh, you'll just, you'll do fine. Just go yeah, on out there. Yeah. So I go out there and bam, more jokes, bam. And I've, it's like the prize fight that I always wanted. You yeah. Know? It was like my dream come true. And to this day, it's the highlight of my, over Saturday Night Live or Weeds or anything like that. Right. That was the highlight of my career. And, um, and then, I, I went to my friend Mike's house and watched it with him and his wife, Anita, and and I knew everybody was at the improv watching it. Yeah. And the place just was quiet there. People tell me, quiet, and everybody just applauded afterwards. <laughs> and it was like the, was the biggest thing in it. You know, to this day, yeah. I'm still like, uh, you know, floating on air. And I'm, in between the time I taped it and before it aired that night, I was praying there wouldn't be some disaster. Right, right, you know, right. Where they're preempting. You know, pre-empty, yeah. yeah. That's an amazing experience, an amazing it story. It was totally cool. The electricity of it, because like, and it was, and it was Johnny. It was Johnny Carson. And he, in between, you know, in the commercials, he's smoking the cigarette. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I picked the video of him throwing his head back, laughing at a joke, you know? Yeah. Uh, it oh. was just, uh, it was just everything I dreamt of. Oh, it's so good that that worked out for yeah. you. And, yeah. And also that there was that moment where it went away. It that. went away. It went away. <laughs> oh, man. I remember I did uh, <laughs> one of the subsequent uh, spots I did on there. You know, I approved it all with Jim McCauley. Yeah. And I go out there and I said, you know, I'm getting ready for the holidays. I'm doing a lot of drinking and driving. Yeah. And I didn't know that Johnny had a DUI. You know, he's like a famous DUI or something. You know? Right. And, and Jim McCauley after goes, hey, wh- where did that joke come from? I said, that was always the, the first joke. He goes, no, no, I never proved that. You know, So they gurbled it when they aired it. Oh, they did? And I come out, I go, how's it going, everybody? Well, I'm getting ready for the... No. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think I ever did the show again after that. Really? Yeah. But it doesn't matter because the first one I did, I've only done maybe eight of them. I don't know. Maybe four. I don't four, know. Four, yeah. 
but then I did a lot one. with Jay and Shanling and yeah, Joan yeah. Rivers. Oh, you did a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I remember the first Letterman because Letterman was my more my generation's guy. You know, I mean, yeah. I love Johnny, but he was gone before I, you know, before the like that that ended before I. Had that was the show. race too. That was the chase to get on before he left. Yeah. So there was a ticking clock too. Right. Yeah. You know. But like doing Letterman the first time was mind blown. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, but it took like years before I talked to him. You know, like where yeah. I sat, I did. I actually did an all panel one with him before. You know, and it was uh, it, it was it, th- that feeling of like because that's that was always really the grail as a comic. It wasn't it wasn't really getting a TV show or any of that for me. It was like you want to do that. You want to go be a comic. Yeah. On the TV, you yeah, know, and that's what and, you're yeah. aiming for. That's yeah, your that's goal. the grail. Like, you know, it yeah. really meant something to do Letterman. You know, like yeah. I'd have friends who did it and be like, ah, oh, fuck, when am I going to do Letterman? You know, I know. So, how did SNL happen? I was living in a house in the Hollywood Hills, and then Dana Carvey would um, rent the room over the garage when he was in town. There's a little apartment, a studio apartment over the garage. And I knew Dana from the stand up clubs. Yeah. And I was dating Jan Hooks at the time. Oh yeah, I had known Jan Hooks for uh-huh. seven years. Always was attracted to her. We became really good friends, you know. But she was always dating somebody else, right? But ultimately, we ended up dating. Yeah, that year that Dana got that summer that he got SNL, and Jan was up for it, and I was excited for them both. I was reading backstage live, Saturday Night Live, the yeah. original years. Yeah, and um, and and uh, I was excited, never thinking that I would even be considered for it. You right. had to have a high power agent to get you a showcase even, and so. I get a call from Dana that summer. Yeah. He goes, Kev, I'm out at Lauren Michael's house. I'm in the back bedroom. Yeah. Guess who's in the kitchen? Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. I said, you're kidding me. No. Anyway, I told Lauren about you. They're looking for another cast member. I told him he might, he might want to see your videos. I said, Bill Murray's in the kitchen with Dan Aykroyd? He goes, yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> and uh, he goes, I got to go. Somebody's coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I send him my tapes thinking yeah. nothing's going to happen from Right, him. right. What kind of tapes though? What were it they It was stand-up? a stand-up from The Tonight Show and you know things like that. I sent it in. I don't think I'll hear back. Two weeks later. Dana calls me back. I'm back out of Lauren Michaels' house. Guess who's in the kitchen? Steve Martin. Yeah. I said, no way. Anyway, Lauren likes your tapes. I think they're going to fly you in for an audition. Yeah. I said, Steve Martin's in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. I got to go. Somebody's coming. <laughs> and uh, so now I'm in the mix. So they're going to fly me in. And I fly into New York thinking it's just a free trip to New York. I'm not going to get anything from it. You know, I'm a stand-up. I don't yeah. get characters or sketches. Yeah. And everybody else is on the plane is going in for that one role too. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's never easy. Even the pilot comes out of the cockpit. Hey, you think this is funny for my audition? And uh, he, so I get there and everybody's nervous, sweating. I'm having a good time. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Here's Thirty Rock. Oh wow, this is cool. You know, and they call me and I do my little audition. I do some stand up and I do. You know, Dane and I worked on a few characters like in the driveway of our house. We would kind of jam on different ideas. So yeah. they were loosely loose characters, you know. Yeah. And um, so. I flew back to LA thinking I'll never hear back. And next thing I know, I'm meeting with Lauren Michaels at some high rise in Century City. He's offering me a job on SNL. You know, he talked for about an hour about yeah. the show and what I would be doing. And yeah. he excused himself to go to the restroom. Brad Gray was my manager at the time. Right. And also his manager. And he goes, here's what we should tell him. Tell him you think about it over the weekend. You know? <laughs> and I'm thinking, are you crazy? Yeah. <laughs> so it was almost timing, like they had it planned. Yeah, you know? yeah. And Lauren comes back. And he sits down and, well, what do you think? I said, well, let me think about it over the weekend. And he looks at me and goes, well, you think about it over the weekend and we'll see you in New York on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm out of Lauren Michael's house, you know? And then I got a call from Dana. Yeah. Hey, Kev, 
I'm out in the back bedroom. Guess who's in the kitchen? I said, I am, motherfucker. I'm in the kitchen now. I'm in the kitchen. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Yeah. And then Jan got hired on the show, and uh, and it was it was an interesting run. Is it how long? Is it like six years? I was on for eight years. Wow. Yeah, I've been really lucky. You know, I've had really good long runs. SNL. Yeah. Weeds was for eight years. Yeah. You know, and now I'm on a new show that's hopefully will be running for a long time. What's it called? It's called Man with a Plan. Oh, yeah. CBS. That's what you're here to promote. Well, not necessarily. No, I know. But, but I, it's I, Monday nights at 8.30. Oh, CBS, good. We yeah. got that in. <laughs> no, but like uh, with SNL, like were you, was he thinking of you for update? Well, I mean, was that the slot? I think he might have been. Dennis was doing it at the time. and He was doing well. But I think, you know, if the day ever came that Dennis was leaving, that he thought, Dana told me that Dinah Minot, who worked for Lauren at the time, yeah. one of the producers, said, um, Dana, do you know any, like, Chevy Chase types? Like, we need a tall guy. And Dana goes, well, I actually know this guy, Kevin Neal, and he's tall and funny. And, yeah. You know, so maybe that had something to do with it. Right. Um, but what were you doing initially? You did a few characters? Well, I did Mr. Subliminal. Oh, that's right. Because I was doing that in my act. Yeah. And I went to school for that. And then Al Franken and I kind of came together and wrote the advertising guy. Yeah. And uh, that was it. And then the next year, Dane and I came up with the Hans and Franz characters. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? and, uh, but I was more the um, the everyday guy. You know, I wasn't yeah. like big on characters. I never did characters. Right. Anything I did, like if it was Brent Musburger or somebody, right. it was just because somebody came up with it. I looked like them maybe. Yeah. You know, if I pull my eyes down. But you can do bit. voices and stuff. I can do voices, yeah. yeah. In fact, I, I wanted to be an impressionist originally, but yeah. then I thought, I want people to make impre do impressions of me, right? Not yeah, yeah, me yeah, yeah, doing yeah. impressions of other people, you know. Yeah, I liked your update. I was, I was, uh, oh, I was thanks. on board. <laughs> you know, I look at it now and I think, yeah, I would do it differently now. You do back then. I like, you know, I like the way Chevy Chase did it. So I try to keep it kind of real, dry. Yeah, dry. You know. Yeah. But I look back now and I kind of cringe. But you know, at the time, that's what I, that's what I chose. The jokes were good. Jokes were good. I yeah. wrote them all. I, I had people faxing me jokes. I think that's why I liked it because I knew it was you. You know, Dennis wasn't even trying to do a newscast. Right, right. You know, but you were honoring the format. Exactly. And, and you know, you knew what you could do comedically. And, you know, you kind of made it your own in a way, but honored the original idea. Yeah. I'm a newscaster. Yeah. That's it. I'm a, I'm a straight, you know, dry newscaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the news. Yeah. That's I like news it. to me. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That was yeah. funny. Who was, like, you went through a lot, there were a lot of guys running. I mean, you do a lot of Sandler movies, so I assume you're close to Sandler. Well, Sandler I met on SNL. Yeah. Actually, I met him at the uh, um, comedy club in New York. Yeah. The um, comic strip or the improv? It or... was a comic strip. Yeah. yeah. That makes comic sense. Comic strip Yeah. And, uh, and he was a young kid at the time, and we're walking back to the Catch a Rising Star at another club, and, and he knows I'm at SNL. He's excited. He went back and told all the roommates at NYU that he hung out with me and all yeah, stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and then ultimately he gets on the show and um, he does Weekend Update a lot when yeah. I'm doing Weekend Update. And, you know, I'm open to him doing whatever Opera he wants Man to do. And, Opera Man, yeah. Redhead and Sweatshirt. Yeah. yeah. And so he's very uh, grateful, I guess, about that. And we, yeah. we become buddies and um, and he's kind of loyal in that way. He uses the same kind of group of guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, on, his, on a lot of his films. Yeah. And it was interesting because I was watching this. You ever see Charlie Chaplin, uh, Untold? I think it's called Untold Chaplin. Mm -mm. Something like that. He always burned all of his his uh, cuts, you know, his edits. Yeah, his, his guy burned them all, but uh, apparently his editor didn't burn them all, and they put together this string. It's unknown Chaplin, that's what it's called, and he put together um, this this thing a DVD, 
and it shows how he works on all his films and how the, the pain and how long it takes to get him and how the scene changes so much. Maybe it starts with a fountain in the lobby of the hotel. Yeah. And then they get rid of that because it's not working. They put a uh, 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 you know, staircase there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or an escalator. And uh, it was really interesting to watch that. But I noticed that he used a lot of the same actors in all of his films. Sure. So I guess, you know, it's, it's kind of... Well, no, I think ensembles are good. You get to know people and, you, you know, and, and, and also I think people who watch the movies are happy to see everybody. Yeah, yeah, you're familiar with them. And I know Steve directed a couple you were in. Steve did, yeah. That when you had the boobs on your head. Little Nicky. Yeah. Yep, Little Nicky. Odd Nikki. movie. The weirdest <laughs> Sandler movie, I think. That was, and that, that one, I guess, didn't do that well for the Sandman, but he did what he wanted to do, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And he and and that's the great thing about Sandler. You know, he does, he, he does what he thinks is funny. Yeah. And, it, and it, most of them work all yeah. the time. And are you friends with Spade and everybody? Yep, Spade. Um, I see Dane a lot. Um, I just had Eugene Levy in here. He lives out oh, by Oh, I you. love Eugene. Yeah. Yeah, we did Yesterday. a sitcom together once. Which one? And it was called Hiller and Diller with Richard oh, yeah, Lewis. Yeah, Me yeah. and Richard Lewis yeah, yeah, and Eugene yeah. Levy. And uh, he was he's great, man. I love him. Don't go golfing with him. No? It takes him forever to hit the ball. Eugene, he gets yeah. out of the car and he goes, mm, interesting. Ah, let's see. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Oh, no, not that one. (laughs) You're like, geez, come on. (laughs) You you play a lot of golf? I don't play a lot of golf. I play like once a year, and um, I'm not good. But I do one tournament in the summer, and it's uh, called the uh, American Century Championship. It's Mm -hmm. on NBC. Yeah. A lot of athletes play. Yeah. Tony Romo. Aaron Rodgers. A lot of charity stuff, Yeah. Yeah. And it's on camera. And it took me like, I've been playing that for like 12, 13 years now. Yeah. In the first six years, I was a nervous wreck. I mean, now it doesn't matter, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, thank God. <sighs> um, I hate when I get like a, a text, you know, on here. Yeah. I am in the middle of a conversation and it's uh, like an issue. Yeah. It wasn't a major issue. <clears throat> Nothing for you to be concerned about. I was still 100% present. I maybe missed 20 seconds. Yeah. I'm just telling you that. No, I know. I know those 20 seconds. You did? Yeah. You felt it? Yeah. When was it? I, I said something funny and you didn't hear it. Oh. So I did the laugh. I did a little courtesy laugh for myself. <laughs> well, I apologize. That's, that's not right. like no, me. That's all right. Oh. I remember pitching an idea once to a producer. Yeah. And uh, and I would look down at my notes and every time I looked up, I would catch him watching the game behind me <laughs> on the TV with the sound off. <laughs> I had a guy, I went to a meeting with an agent once when I was looking for an agent, and the guy had just gotten a, a Casio address book phone when they were popular. Yeah, yeah. Literally spent a half an hour telling me about the phone. <laughs> Did not ask me any questions. It was what I, you know, I felt when I left, like, oh, yeah, I get one, I think. I'm going to have to get yeah. one. And that was like, <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible going into those things. I remember one guy, um, I, was, I was reading lines yeah. you know, for a part, yeah. and he started laughing. Yeah. And he got into a laughing fit. We couldn't stop laughing. And at first, I thought it was kind of funny, you know, yeah. and maybe he was laughing at the way I did something, you yeah. know? Yeah. And then I realized he was kind of laughing at the situation that I was there reading probably for him, and I was bad. Right. How, his, oh, he's his job. Laughing and, for the wrong reason. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I, I, he just, I, I, he said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I said, okay. Well, I, okay. Well, it's nice meeting you. And I yeah. left. You know? <laughs> I could hear him laughing as I left. My friend Jerry has a story about going into pitch, and he's pitching to the guy, and the guy's distracted and seems upset. And uh, there's a pause, and I guess the guy says, Yeah, I'm sorry. My, my mother passed away today. And Jerry's like, uh, Okay, he goes, but go ahead. Go ahead. 
<laughs> just horrible moments in show oh, business. Man. It is the worst. It but you worst. see, like, you know, you always work and you're always engaged and, you, you know, you do you do work outside the box and you're not afraid to, you, you know, I, I didn't see Weeds. I'm sorry. You would have loved it. I'm going to watch I it. I tell I Howard Stern the same thing. He's never seen it. I said, you and Mark Maron would have loved Weeds. I was on the show once with Howard. Were you? It was a big deal. It was another one yeah. of those big deals because, like, I didn't grow up with Howard, but, like, I know, like, on some level we do a similar thing. And, you know, I was always intimidated by Howard. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I finally got an opportunity to do the show. Yeah. And, you know, he'd be shitting on podcasts and whatever. And yeah, yeah. he doesn't want to acknowledge that they exist. That's fine. I just wanted to have the Howard experience. And it was funny because it was one of these, like, I was nervous. I'm like, what's he going to find on me? Yeah. I, oh, totally. Yeah. What am, what's he coming at me with? Yeah, yeah. And I was nervous. I was sitting there and I'm watching the TV. And, you know, I'm sitting there waiting. And they have the screen of Howard on break in there and I just see him in there he doesn't have his sunglasses on and he's eating cantaloupe out of a bowl and I'm like that's just a Jew eating cantaloupe <laughs> you know like, I can handle this <laughs> yeah. what am I afraid of and I'm, I go in there and they they, they do they, they try to you know to fuck with your head like you know, you, you walk in and all of a sudden you have headphones on and you're, you're in it yeah yeah like you know like, I'm on to that trick I'm, I'm not, <laughs> not going to throw me well I, I woke up maybe three years ago and I said I want to do things that that, that um excite me that yeah. scare me a little bit yeah you know i'm tired of just playing the game that i know right and one of the things was doing the howard stern show and the other one was the bill maher show real time because i'm not that politically uh i'm not right. a political junkie or anything yeah and i did both of those shows several times and it was great i had great it was so exhilarating was, well if bill likes you and he knows you it's fun yeah you know what i mean but howard i didn't know yeah i went in there and he was it couldn't have been i think he likes comics yeah, oh, he definitely nice. does. He's like, very... you know, a lot of my friends used to do it, and I was always upset I couldn't do it. And then when I walked in there, worried about what he was going to have on I me. I know it. You anticipate everything. I had answers for everything. Didn't yeah. have to use any of them. All, all, yeah, all he said was like, so I hear you're an asshole. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, this is easy. <laughs> sure, I can do that. Mm -hmm. I, can, <laughs> I can answer to the asshole thing. <laughs> and it was fine. It was, you know, it was, it was good. I'd, I'd like to go back. But do you feel that same way about acting? Like when you do something like Weeds? You... Well, I've been really lucky because I've had a lot of, you know, I've been able to write. Yeah, as a job, I've been able to act in a lot of different. I've done single camera weeds, yeah, live TV, yeah, Saturday Night Live, and and now I'm doing a you know, multiple camera show, and movies with uh, Sandler. So you know, my uh, my um, career has always been kind of interesting for me. I didn't get caught in one rut, you know, and I and I have the stand up that I do. You still go out a lot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where do you play? Like, what's well, a, I'll be what's... at the Comedy Works in Denver. I love that place. Uh, March twenty fourth. That place and 25th. is almost too good. Yeah. March 24th and 25th is yeah. the comedy work. So like, it's a great place to work stuff out, but you can't trust it because the room is so hot. It is hot. I filmed a special there. <laughs> you did? Yeah. So in that sense, I've been kind of lucky. I've done a lot of things that keep me interested. So what's the man with the plan? Is that your... Did you create it? No, I didn't. Um, no, this is a, don't get this angry. This is a plan. Uh, this is a... <laughs> is this a <laughs> well, new no, angry Kevin? <laughs> I've created a couple other shows that didn't go. Which ones? Uh, well, you don't know them. The one was called... <laughs> stays in vegas yeah and the other one was called uh the pleaser how far did they get well we got them to uh studios warner brothers and fox you didn't shoot either didn't shoot them no they didn't sell them to a network the pleaser would be about you and your people pleasing yeah oh. pretty much which we turned into a film yeah and now we're looking for investors to shoot that oh what's an outreach today maybe someone's listening be Brillstein, like i'm ready brillstein entertainment partners yeah yeah that's you you're still with them yeah okay yeah. So anyway, that you know, I've done those two. But Man with a Plan is, um, I was just doing stand-up. You know, I was wondering, I was writing, writing this film, uh, The Pleaser, and and then my agent sent me the script. They said you um, 
you have a chemistry meeting with Matt LeBlanc if you'd like to do this show. So they sent me the script and I read it. And um, a chemistry meeting. A chem- yeah, you just sit there, like, see if you. It's really an audition. Hit it off with the yeah. with the guy. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a nice way of saying audition to someone yeah. who's been in the business for a while. Oh, okay. <laughs> they don't want to <laughs> insult you. Yeah. Uh, so, but it does mean you're going to be reading with the primary. Yeah. Right. So that morning I had a dentist appointment. Yeah. And there was more work that needed to be done than I thought. And I'm and the audition, the chemistry meeting is out in the valley. Mm-hmm. So they got me tilted back in the chair and he's got to give me extra Novocaine. And I see the clock <laughs> ticking and my audition's like in 30 minutes. Yeah. That's all the time I'm going to have to get there. Yeah. So I got, I said, I got to go. He wrapped up and he gave me extra Novocaine. My whole side of my face is numb. Yeah. So I said, how long will this take for the wear off? He goes, oh, by this afternoon you should be, and I got a half, in a half hour. <laughs> I be. So I'm tapping it all the way and I'm driving the canyons, you know, and yeah. tr- looking at my lines and stuff. And I'm sitting in the room and Matt LeBlanc comes in, you know, off to the side. Yeah. You know, the producers are in another room. They're waiting. Yeah. He goes, hey, you want to run this for a little? We'll try it. Go, okay. You know, yeah. so we try it. And, and then he goes into the other room. They go, how is he? He goes, well, you know, he's uh, he's really funny. A little shaky in the lines. And he probably said he probably had a stroke. Oh, I think right. the guy had a stroke. It's what he said? Because my whole side was like, no, like that, you know. <laughs> he's got Bell's palsy. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, they hired me. He liked me, and uh, and Matt LeBlanc's amazing. You know, he's really. I, I thought I knew everything about comedy and getting the most out of a laugh, but he does. He knows structure and character. And really, he's been doing it so long. I mean, he could he he could just look at a scene and go, "No, this is missing. We need this. We need that." And just I, from all that, all those years, all those years in Friends, yeah, and, and Joey and uh, episodes. And, Isn't that yeah. interesting? That yeah. like because I guess there's an element to doing that type of you know, three camera thing that, you know, is not in your wheelhouse. Right. Right. right? Yeah. So, and that's a very, it, it can be pretty sticky sometimes and it's hard to subvert the shtick to, to make it real enough to not be dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a really good show. He's great in it. Yeah. Eliza Snyder's great. Yeah. Um, you know, Matt Cook, uh, so many great actors in there. Of course, myself, probably the best, but, yeah. uh, how many did you shoot? Well, we started with 13. I wasn't in the pilot. I came after the pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, we shot 13, then got picked up for a back nine, so 22. Great. But, but um, it's great it, because I wanted to be home more. I didn't yeah. want to be on the road so much. Yeah. And this is like perfect job. It's a great yeah. schedule. Do you feel like you have to go out there? I mean, is it, is it, is it, well, I mean, that's sort of a weird personal question. Is it financial or you love to do stand-up? Well, I love to do stand-up. Yeah. I don't, I love making money too. The money's yeah. good now. Sure. You know, there's not many of us that can go out and make that much money. Sure. And, you yeah. Know, yeah, as a comic established, you can go out and make a good hunk of change. Yeah, I know that's this has been the first time I've been able to do that. You can make up the two thousand dollars in one week. It's amazing. <laughs> do you remember the day where you realized, like, like I, I like when I started making money as a stand-up? Maybe it took a long time. It took you yeah, know, up to, just like sure. five years ago because of the podcast or whatever that I had an audience. And like you know, the first time you do a door deal at a club and you get that check and you're like, wait, what? What? This is all for? Is this a mistake? But then that moment after that, you like all those dudes back in the 80s, you know, who were big yeah. then and you're middling or feature, they're like they were walking. Like when I was doing $1,500 weeks thinking I was winning, those guys were walking with all that cash. Yeah, I know. It was mind blowing. And now they're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope they saved it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Now this new uh, this new approach to life that you're having, you know, with uh, experiencing your anger, have uh, have you is that integrated into the act? Or do it? Are you like you you got an edge now? Uh, you no, know? I don't think I'll ever have an edge. 
But, um, you know, self-revelation, I guess, is always yeah. helpful, you know, when you're writing, you're standing yeah. up and how you think about things. I think a comic is kind of like a blues musician. You have to kind of live life. You have to evolve to yeah. create some kind of, you know. Yeah, you don't want to get stuck. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's one of the liabilities of a lot of the guys we talk about that have sort of gone, you know, toward the wayside. There are some dudes that are always writing new stuff, but there was definitely a generation of comics that couldn't get past the first hour. Yeah. Yeah, so you have to constantly keep digging deeper into yourself, too, like Gary would say. You know, yeah. you got to stay open and present and and and, and truthful you know, well, if you want to do that kind of comedy. And that's like, that. I got very reassured, sadly, at the memorial about, you know, what I was doing you know, by hearing about him and yeah. getting to know him through you guys. Like, it really it had a, a profound impact on me, you know, because I, I work like that. I, I am pretty you know, put myself out there. There's never, like, I never feel protected mm -hmm. on a comedy stage. It's not sort of like I'm going to hide behind jokes. I just don't have that. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, when things are like they are now where, you know, things are up in the air and scary and everything, I'm, you know, I'm scared. So I got to go out there and, and I've got to somehow share that as a common experience. Yeah. And it's daunting. And but... you're, you're brave to do that too. I mean, there, you know, a lot of comedy now is confessional comedy. Yeah. And people are, um, don't seem to have a problem with confessing to whatever they do that may not be accepted. Yeah. It, it, well, it really puts you on the spot. And it also, I think, is a reaction to the fact that, you know, if you don't have a, def a very defined point of view and, and you're, you know, writing topical material or, or trying to be an observer because of there's so many comics, you know, someone else is going to be fucking doing the joke. So in a lot of ways, all you got is yourself. Yeah. So it better yeah. be specific. You got to be as specific as possible. I tell like newer comics that too. I say there's so many comics now. You got to be original. You got to be unique. Otherwise, yeah. you'll just blend in to the yeah. background. You'll work maybe, but you know, yeah. you'll never really. And sometimes it's hard to, you can't just do that on purpose. It has to evolve. It has to evolve. And you know, I go out and I do comedy maybe two times a week now, yeah. two or three times a week right. around town. Yeah. And I see other comics who are like I was, these yeah. younger comics that are doing maybe three sets a night, every yeah. night. Yeah. And they're and I'm thinking, wow, man, if I was doing that, I would have like two hours of material yeah, within yeah. a year. Sure. You know? Oh, yeah. But um, but yeah, I think uh, when you're in touch with your emotions, it, it really helps. And I think getting therapy also as a comic is helpful. Yeah. Because it helps you dig into that. Yeah, yeah, to figure out where, where some of it's coming from. Put it together. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, there was a joke I was working on that was completely, you know, like I, the only way I got confidence from it was, you know, from thinking about Gary and, and thinking about you is that, cause I don't, when I have a structured joke, you know, it's very easy for me to think it's some sort of trick, Yeah, you know, and, you know, but like if there's a, a structured joke, you know, cause I, I have jokes, but like I do it conversationally, but like if I have one where I'm like, I know there are beats here and I have to wait for this yeah. and it might not work but I believe in it. Like I had a couple of those and it, they came after, you know, I was at the memorial service and I was like, you know, I'm going to do this, you know, by drawing from the inspiration of Gary and, and like it, it felt very satisfying to yeah. sort of like hold it, you know, just don't, you know, don't second guess it, let it sit. It's, it's a, it's a tough one to process, Yeah, yeah. but it's worth it. Yeah. And, and I stuck with it and it worked. It was very, no, I don't know why I'm telling you, I'm just telling you. No, I, I, <laughs> I love hearing stuff like that because I'm, I'm always trying to examine the avenue of comedy and what would improve my delivery or my, you know, yeah. writing or performance. And it's, it's, you're always learning something new. And, and that's why I like trying to get out and mix with people because yeah. you could watch and learn things and, yeah. and, um, 
it's every time you get on stage, there's something can happen. You that's know, right. There's a revelation there. Yeah, if I want, you allow it to happen, I, I have to. It's like that's the, it's sometimes the best things that happen on stage are those moments that like probably no one really noticed quite. But yeah. you're like that. Oh, that thing I did when I just said that thing out of nowhere. That was the that was the best part of that hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I haven't seen your act in a while, but you when I used to see you and I've seen you on TV. Yeah, more of a more of an anger kind of a thing. Not, not, do you, I do you go on got, stage thinking nobody that. likes you? I used to. That that's sort of gone. Like that sort of went away in the last five years. And the reason it went away was, y- y- you know, I became more comfortable with myself by doing this. Yeah. So like, I'm really not. You know, I I'm worked up sometimes, and I'm still sort of you know self centered and neurotic. But I'm not angry because a lot of that was really just uh, fear. Yeah. And yeah. it some happened over, like five years ago. Like I was started doing theaters, you know, and. Like there was this moment where I'm like I go always go early, you know, to the sound checker to see the space and to walk around it. And there was just this moment where I'm like, I live up here. Like some part of me, this is this is this is the one place where, you know, safe. Yeah, I yeah. own this place. You know yeah. what 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 am I assuming the worst for? <laughs> and it was it was lifted. Yeah. Like I there's no I don't have any fear. Yeah. This is this is your home. Right. I remember, I remember going through breakups. Yeah. I would always get devastated. Even yeah. if I oh, went yeah. out with her for six months, yeah, would, yeah. you know, the world was over. And yeah, yeah. I would shave, I'd stay in bed. But, and then I would do, do these stand-up gigs yeah. where I'd have to get on stage, you know, as miserable as I was. Right. But then I would forget about it for like, you know, 20 minutes or a half hour. And I would be okay. And yeah. then I get, it was like leaving Disneyland when I got off the stage. Like, oh, back to the real world. Exactly. Oh. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that definitely happened. And I, and I've, got, I've gone through breakups and divorces where... I would process them on stage. And those were not great shows for people. I don't know that... that <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it was everyone's idea of a night out. But <laughs> No, no, I know it. I know. <laughs> I think sometimes you could be abusive with the audience. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of comics, and I've probably done it too, where you just stay on stage because you're, you know, they're letting you because yeah. you're, you're well-known. And, yeah. and you just rambling and you're not getting any laughs and, and you're a, using the audience and it, it's weird though because that quietness that weird silence of them tolerating you yeah there's there's no more uh it, it's almost like there's a freedom to it like you're all alone and it's all your space yeah and it's a very weird feeling when they don't know what's happening and you don't know what's going to happen <laughs> and you're just standing there there's some yeah. weird elation to that and a lot of times, if I'm not doing as well as I want to be doing, that's when I'll go long. Like, I'll just keep going. <laughs> you'll, you'll make them pay. <laughs> well, yeah, they, there's that angle, but I like to frame it as like, well, at least I want, I don't want them walking out going like, you know, we didn't get our money's worth. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like if it, if it wasn't as funny as they wanted, they'd at least they could walk out and go like, he fucking did two hours. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, it wasn't great, but God, he, <laughs> <know>. he tried. <laughs> the thing when you get on stage, though, the audience is looking to you they want to know that you're comfortable and that you're running the show because if right. you're not they feel uncomfortable it's like you're you're a bad pilot right what's going to happen so you got to kind of like yeah let them know that you're in charge yeah and everything's going to be cool and they got to believe it yeah yeah and make it okay for them to laugh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but if you go on stage and you're like upset and, yeah you know yeah. you're oh yeah frazzled like, it's oh, like, oh no fuck, this guy's not good it's gonna, be, it's gonna be a problem for this is gonna yeah. be a, a, a draining evening yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Oh yeah, so I'm gonna have to give some fake laughs to make them feel better. That's <laughs> yeah. a lot of work for me. <laughs> oh, that the feeling of bombing, like those bombs where where like y- y- there's nothing you can do, 
and like it's probably your fault yeah you, you know like you're just not connecting and like that feeling of like you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get out of this but i yeah. think that's good though to be able to be in that position i very rarely put myself in that like i'll i'll take old stuff oh, that yeah. i know is gonna kill just so that they get laughs and, and i walk off with yeah an applause you know but there's been a couple of times in my life where something just collapsed where the fear or whatever, or I just, you know, the confidence went away. It's been a long time, but where I got to go up for an hour and I, and I, you know, and I, and I try. And then like, you know, I remember there was a time where, where I was less professional. I think part of being a professional is not letting this happen where I, I just lost all of my confidence. Oh, wow. And, you know, and I'm up there doing it, but it's not, you know, it's not. Yeah, yeah. You're the, not believing yeah, it. Right. And the job isn't happening. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I was just going to ask you, do you still get nervous before you go on stage? Because I, I don't get nervous anymore. And I think you should have some nerves. I get nervous in the fact where it, it's, it's, I'm not afraid to be up there, but like I want to make sure I, I plant myself there. And it used to be by getting the laugh. Yeah. Like, you know, I got that first bit. It's going to get a laugh. And now it's really something different. Like I need to be like, I'm... This is this will be all right, you, yeah. you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I need to have that connection, not the laugh, but the sort of like, are we on this? We're we gonna be all right here. Yeah, yeah. And then go, you know. So, yeah, yeah. so I'm nervous about that. That that won't happen because you feel it, man. You know, you go oh, out yeah. into a room and you're like, no, that corner, that's gonna be a problem. Oh yeah, yeah. Or you find that one person. Yeah, yeah. Like it's oh, not laughing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I tend to find like I, I always end up looking at those people at the moment they're not laughing. You know, and there's always like if you're playing like a, a bigger place, like you know, 800 people or whatever. There's always you're always going to land on people like yeah. a sleeping lady. And, oh yeah, yeah. But like sometimes when you do clubs and you, you know, they're you know that they're not all necessarily there to see you. They might just be you know, there's like on that table that area. There's some bad thing happening over there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. There's always a spot. No matter where you are, you'll find it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Like, oh, I'm going to get that area. Mm -hmm. And now I make all assumptions. Like, they hate me. And then there are always the guys that come up to you like, oh, I loved it. And you're like, no, you're not who I yeah, thought yeah, you yeah. were. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you not like me? I, I can remember only bombing once really badly. Yeah. And it was a couple years ago. I worked at that... Um, that Marine Corps, that Marine base down by, uh, between and Ocean City, yeah. down there, Oceanside, whatever it is. Uh-huh. I forget, it's Fort something. Mm -hmm. And it was for Marines like 19 and under that were oh, single. Right. Yeah, kids. Yeah, mm -hmm. and could not connect with them at all. Kids are hard. They were checking their texts, you know, their texting and stuff and didn't get it. They didn't even know like my history of yeah, yeah. and Franz or anything. Nothing, <laughs> nothing. nothing, man. Whole new generation. I was going through my Rolodex. Yeah, who's my the head. old guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and everything was hip hop. There was the the um, yeah. main guy was the hip hop guy at the end, oh, the headliner. Yeah, and then the MC was an ex hip hop guy who's yeah. MCing now, and he's an ex marine, so he uh, knows all the, the the lingo. Oh, did you know going in? You're oh, like, oh. I didn't know. And then I walked off. I was sweating actually. I hadn't sweat in a long oh, time. That's, that's I walked the worst. off. And I tried to convince the producer. I said, hey, God, that was good, man. These guys are great. And I just hated myself. I just kind of put a fake smile on, like this is the greatest oh, thing sweat. in the world. The bomb sweat. Oh, oh man. When you feel it coming, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> it's like bad food poisoning yeah, or something. It's terrible. It's happening. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm not hiding coming. it. It's coming out of It's going to happen, baby. It's going to happen. It's happening now. <laughs> Ease into it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. That was great talking to you. You too. What a great guy. What a great conversation. I'm so glad that we made that happen finally. Vancouver, Portland, Seattle, Oakland, Denver, Boulder, D.C., Philly, Austin, Milwaukee, Madison, 
Um, Minneapolis. Dig it. No music today. Boomer lives! <laughs>